Tonight's Vart Torah is called together from a number of different places as it usually is, and I want to give ahead of time some credit where credit is due. I'm indebted to Rabbi Michel Tzion, my friend, and to Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, and to a number of others for having seeded these ideas. To begin with, Rabbi Sachs, in his book Covenant and Conversation, begins to unpack what's happening this Shabbos around the world. We begin the second of the five books of the Torah called in Hebrew Shmot, in English Exodus. And Rabbi Sachs discerns a number of doubles, he called them, parts of the Torah that repeat themselves as a theme and a sub-theme or as he says, a text and a subtext. And here it is. The text of the book of Exodus is that we are all pawns in God's hands. Everything that happens in the book of Exodus is happening because of God. We, the Israelites, the Egyptians, the entire book is made up of those who are in some sense a part of this great river that flows called divine destiny, divine fate. And each of us, as a twig in that river, is being pulled inexorably towards God's ends. Within that larger heading, the second story, a repetition of the first, will appear. And that story will be much different than the first. Where the first story, for example, the first of the Ten Commandments were all written with the finger of God. The second set of the tablets will be written, or at least carved, by human hands. The second story, Rabbi Sachs asserts, is the story of human partnership with the divine. We are each and every one of us called to participate in that unfolding of history, that unfolding of God's plan. He says so beautifully, many things that happen to us, they don't make us who we are. We are not made, he says, by the, thing that, the things that God does for us, but rather by the things that we do for God. Human partnership. In Kabbalah, we call this an awakening from below. An awakening from above is God's Grace, God's action in history, but human partnership, is arusa miletata, the awakening from below, which is human agency, is nowhere more strongly expressed than in the beginning of this week's reading, something not enumerated by Rabbi Sachs, but I think should be voted in. We are told First of all, about all kinds of initiative in the beginning of the Parsha. In a book called Shmot, Names, the beginning of the book, first chapter, Names. But by midway through the first chapter, characters are involved in the fate of the story, moving it, but they don't have names. The first such character, of course, is Vayelech Ishmi, based Levi, 
that this anonymous Ish, this person who, defying the decree of Pharaoh, knowing full well that bringing a child into such a world would be dangerous, nonetheless, this anonymous individual defies that decree. And then, my vote. The nameless one known as Bat Paro. Without her, the Redeemer Moses might not have lived. The whole story of the Exodus would have been different. She wasn't an Israelite. She had nothing to gain and everything to lose by her courage. She seems to have had no doubt, though. Experienced no misgivings. She had no hesitation. If it was Paro who afflicted the children of Israel, it was another member of his own family, writes Rabbi Sachs, who saved the decisive vestige of hope. The daughter of Pharaoh is the first and maybe greatest hero of this saga. Let's recall the context for a moment. Pharaoh has decreed that every male child from the Israelite nation will be thrown into the Nile. Yocheved, Amram's wife, has a baby boy. She hides him for three months until she could no longer hide him. Fearing his certain death, if she kept him, she sets him afloat on the Nile in a basket, bateva, hoping against hope that someone might see him and take pity on him. And this is what follows. Pharaoh's daughter goes to bathe in the Nile, and while her maids walked along the Nile's edge, she sees the box in the reeds, and she sends an Amata, her slave girl, to go fetch the basket. Opening it, she sees the boy. Vatirehu, she sees him. na'ar and it was a crying baby. She says, This must be one of those Hebrew children. Now imagine this scenario. She sees this child and she immediately recognizes this is a Hebrew child. What is she to do? She's surrounded by maids, her whole entourage. Could she defy her father? Could she stand up to the most powerful man in the world? She doesn't tell any of her servants. She has the courage of her own compassion. She unflinchingly moves to do what she is called to do. She has everything to lose. Ensconced in a life of luxury, security, and royalty, everything that you can imagine, one with her pedigree having, this one leaves her comfort zone, extends herself into the life of the radically other. She crosses the boundary for the sake of the Na'arivri, the little boundary crosser. The redemption pivots on this incredibly bold and crazy act of compassion and witnessing the plight of someone less fortunate than her. This adoption, in light of everything that has been happening in the news, where children are played as political pawns between superpowers, adoptions, canceled adoptions, right? Putin signing the, the, the decree, the law, that no children shall be adopted by anyone outside of Russia. And here, this woman, 
This Egyptian woman in what will become a model in a moment for someone whom she will name steps out of her comfort zone puts herself in the line of danger for the sake of of the truth for the sake of the heart. Now Pharaoh's daughter doesn't simply have a moment's compassion. She 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 gives a child back to Yocheved, and the child grows, is weaned by the mother. But the passage of time doesn't diminish her commitment to this child. She remains committed to this little baby. She adopts him and brings him up as her own son. And then the most surprising detail at last. In the Torah, everybody here knows that the parents of the child are the ones who name children in the Torah. If it's a special birth, then it's God. And here, the Savior of the Jewish people will not be named by his mother, Yocheved, and Amram, his, her father, its father. Although, um, presumably, for those years that he was living in their house, waiting to make it back to Pharaoh's house, he had many names. In fact, the Midrash says he had many names. So none of those names become the Savior of Israel's name. The Torah says explicitly, the name that is given to this Savior, Moshe, an Egyptian name. He has no other name. He has only an Egyptian name. It is given to him by his adopted mother, daughter of Pharaoh. This is the reward, the rabbis say, for kindness. The willingness to extend oneself beyond your boundaries. You get to name the Redeemer. It is your name, your invocation. It is your description. It is that which emerges from your heart. The one who was willing to be with the other as self. That becomes the lasting testament of Moses' life. He's not called by Hebrew name. But for that name, for that moment when I saw you, the daughter of Pharaoh says. No. In a book of names, with a heroine like the daughter of Pharaoh who names Moses, we would expect to know a little bit about her. So what was her name? Her name, we are told, nothing about in the Bible. In the book of Chronicles, we're told that there is a daughter of Pharaoh called Bitya, Bitya, or Batya. The name Batya means daughter of God, daughter of the one. Upon this, the Midrash says a gorgeous statement. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to her, Moses was not your son, yet you called him your son. You are not my daughter, but I shall call you my daughter. The awakening from below that is human agency, the awakening from below that is the life of the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of the Most High, is to make a claim. And in that claim, the daughter of Pharaoh says, every child, every child is important. And if my heart is really alive, then as I claim that child and adopt that child, I too am adopted by the one on high. God, as it were, says, everyone who adopts the world as world and opens their heart to feel its pain, 
is my child, acts as I act, lives as I live, behaves as I behave. So what kind of child would emerge from a daughter of the Most High? The first act that we see from Moses is Vayetze, Vayar b'sivlosam, that Moses, who too, like his adopted mother, grew up in the lap of luxury, who too grew up on the Upper West Side. I was going to say Great Neck, you know, that's where I come from, Great Neck, the Upper West Side. Moses, an Egyptian, presumably doesn't know that he's in Hebrew, maybe he does. The first moment of his life is a moment of going out from his place, from leaving his place. He goes out of his place. Where did he learn that from? From Yocheved? Maybe. Maybe he learned it from his Hebrew mother. He learns it from his adopted mother, Batya. A non-Jewish hero of a very Jewish text. Moses is impacted by his mother's example. He leaves his sense of self and he sees, he sees, he feels, he identifies, he expands, he reaches out, he cares, and he continues to care two more times in this week's Parsha. He reaches out to Midianite, presumably not Egyptian or Hebrew. This Moses becomes his namesake. He becomes the one who was pulled from the water because he learned from his mother, from Bat Paro, what it is to take a risk for the sake of the other and for the sake of one's brethren. I want to end with a story that I like to say every year around this time. It's one of my favorite Torahs. And I learned it from my Rebbe, Reb Moshe Weinberger, who gave it over in the name of Reb Mendel Avorka. Reb Mendel Avorka was the son of Reb Itzel Avorka. Some of you might know that name. I told a story a couple of weeks ago about Reb Itzel, who looked over an ocean of tears and promised that he would never, ever leave his place by that ocean until it was dry in heaven. He gave up his portion in heaven in order to sit, sit by an ocean of tears, and he had a son, Rav Mendel of Orca. And this Rav Mendel of Orca was not one to speak. He didn't talk a lot at all. In fact, they tell stories about him that on Friday night by his tish, by the table, Rav Mendel of Orca, he would be absolutely silent and people would just be sitting there and crying. And they weren't crying for him to speak. They were crying <laughs> because he was breaking them to a very deep place. So we have eight Torahs from him, eight, eight teachings from Rabendel of Orca. This is one of his eight Torahs. And you'll hear how much it speaks to his life and hopefully this teaching. So Rabendel asks on this episode with the daughter of Pharaoh, that one, the daughter of the Most High, who was adopted by God. It says in the Torah that she goes down to the Nile and she sees and behold, there was a baby crying. And so Rav Mendla, right? We know this. Rav Mendla, you like to say, 
How can you see someone crying really? It should really say vatishma, that he heard. She heard him crying. What does it mean to see him crying? She says, really, the baby wasn't crying. Not in a way that you could hear. The baby was crying on the inside. And the beauty of Batya, the beauty of this daughter of the Most High, was that with her eyes she could hear what wasn't being expressed. She merited to become Moses' mother adopted because she had in her the faculty, the ability to look at someone and see what they weren't saying, to see what it was that they wished that they could bring to expression. I was reading this week a study that was done by a woman named Barbara Ware. She worked with palliative care, people who were in the last stages of their life. And she said that there are five essential regrets that people have at the end of their life. And the number one regret, the number one regret of all of those patients that she spoke with was, I didn't say what I wanted to say. So I want to say that on this Shabbat, a Shabbat when we read about an amazing human being who could listen with her eyes and about her son who became the one who taught us Shema Yisrael, listen. That God should bless us to be individuals, human beings, and very specifically the kind of community that hears with its eyes, that listens deeply to one another that can look across a room and see a friend, and even if they're not saying, I need a hug, or maybe I don't need a hug. <laughs> that we become sensitive enough so that we adopt the world as self as well. I pray that as we adopt more and more of that which is needing to be included, the boundaries that need to be crossed, the people brought in that need to be brought in, and those places in us that need to be illuminated. May God bless us too that we can say about ourselves that we too are children of the Most High, children of Yah, children of love and compassion. May Batya and Moses, the two heroes, remind us to be that way. Amen.